This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We've got three Oakland A's Hall of Famers, the great Dave Stewart, Joe Rudy, and Keith Lippman. We'll start out with the right-hander. Here is your ace, Dave Stewart. Well, today has been a special day because we just had Joe Rudy on, who is going into the A's Hall of Fame. And to my right, and for you listening on A's Cast Live, you can't see it, the great Dave Stewart A's Hall of Famer is with me, Stu. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, man. And I got to thank for you as someone who grew up watching Joe Rudy, Sal Bando, our guy Ray Fossey who's going in. This class is probably pretty special for you as an A's Hall of Famer and to watch these guys go in. Well, it is special. Uh, and I was a huge fan of Joe Rudy. I'm in the A's teams. Uh, you know, we can go all the way back to 1968 when they first came here and when they became the championship teams that they were, I mean, it brought a lot of pride to the area. And, you know, I live right down the street, yeah. so I can pretty much ride my bicycle up, and I'm I'm here in minutes. So it, it was just a great time to be, you know, in East Oakland and to be an Oakland Ace fan. What did that team mean to you guys as a stamp as a standpoint of putting Oakland on the map as kids? Well, first of all, it's Oakland's first baseball team. Um, and, and you know, the, the number of kids that grew up here in the area. I mean, we can start with uh, Joe Morgan, and we can go to Frank Robinson. We can Veda Pinson. We can take all those names, and the newer names are Ricky Henderson and Dontrell Willis and all those guys. We're all from this area, and in 19... 72, 73, and 74, Oakland's first baseball team, which was a relocation from Kansas City, um, we were all playing in our yards, and we we unfortunately or fortunately left the Giants and became A's fans, and um, rightfully so when you can put together teams that repeatedly win championships, you know, win back-to-back-to-back years. Um, it, it doesn't happen often, and I don't know how many times it's happened in Major League history. Yeah, only the A's and the Yankees. Two, there's only two organizations that have won three or more in a row, and it's these two organizations. And you think how long we've played baseball, that tells you a lot uh, what a great accomplishment this is. And for me, it's like I was born in 72, so I was alive, but I didn't get to see it. But now having worked around the A's for so many years, I truly understand the greatness. And it's like they didn't – they didn't get their due, but they're like a fine wine. As it gets older, 
they're they're aging really well, and they're finally really getting their due. As you know, baseball history and historians are looking at this era, going, "Hey, listen, this A's team. You can't tell the history of baseball without talking about the '80s of the early mid '70s." I mean, you have to talk about those teams if if you if you talk about greatness, if you talk, you know, you you talk about, you know. The, the the greatest teams put together, you have to talk about those teams. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson in the middle of them, they had tremendous, tremendously good pitching staffs um, each and every year. And they can hit, and they brought excitement to the game. They played the game the way the game that was supposed to be played. When the Oakland A's came in town uh, with the white shoes and the green and gold, um, you knew that you had your work cut out. And, and those guys, they they just refused to be beaten. Well, one of the great things that we love having you on the program is we'll be hosting together A's pre- and post-game live, which is always fun. And uh, as much as, you know, when I was growing up in high school, being a pitcher, you were the man. So you were always one of those guys. I had a poster of you. You're one of those guys that uh, 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 from our generation, you, you know, you're one of those players that we always hold in that pedestal. And then just from the A's world, and I think about your career, you know, as a player, as a coach, as an agent, as a GM, and soon-to-be owner. Can't wait for all that, and that'll be huge. You basically, you know, we always talk about the NFL Network has a football life. You've had a baseball life. And I wanted to ask you about the two guys that are so interesting right now. I want you to put your GM hat on. Is you think about, you got Juan Soto's 23. You got him for the, if you trade for him, you can flip him at any point, but let's just say you're keeping him long term. You can keep him till the end of this year, and then two more years, and then now they're floating out Shohei Otani, which is a generational player. He's a huge money maker. You think about what he does for you off the field and on the field. What do you think it would be like as an opposing GM to try and acquire one of these guys? Well, it's a nightmare, quite frankly. Um, both of those players. Otani, I believe, is going to require more than Soto um, because Otani is a two-way player, and he's not just a two-way player. He's a two-way all-star player. Cash cow. He's, he's an all-star pitcher. He's an all-star hitter. Um, and he does come into a lineup and come to a team, um, in my opinion, with more impact than Soto. And so because of that, um, you don't you don't have <laughs> – you don't have enough players, in my opinion, in your system, good <laughs> players in your system, to make that kind of trade. You, you just don't have it. And and I say that also about Soto. You, you just don't have enough good players in your system to make that kind of trade. And so as a general manager, um, without putting your whole system, your whole minor league system at ransom, um, it's a very, very difficult trade to make for either one of those players. It, it, would it be like uh, you go into a restaurant, you have a menu, you got your starters, you got your soups and salads, you got your entrees, <laughs> you got your desserts? I mean, would you just say pick what you want? Well, what you're going to have to try to do is, uh, I mean, and it's it, it's it's an it's an exchange. Um, as a general manager, you send them over a list of players that you would be willing to trade, and and obviously you're not sending them chump players. You're sending them a good list of players. You're gonna have uh you're gonna have some of your top ten prospects in there, um, and hopefully you can get a deal done that way. Um, but in in a trade like this, the other the opposition, the Angels are gonna be sending you back 
your one, your two, your three, your four prospects, and they're going to be asking for a lot. It's it's a if it's a difficult trade to make. I I can't even imagine um, what what you get back in compensation. Is it a four player trade? Is it a five player trade? In my opinion, you don't have four players that are good enough for Otani. Yeah. You don't have four players that are good enough for Soto. Um, and a lot of times when you have trades like this, it ends up being three-way trades. You you end up doing trades through other organizations to try to get the package that you want to put together. You get another organization's one or two prospects to try to put together a group of one prospects for an Otani or for a Soto. And I know Bob Nightingale said, said today on Friend of the Program with another friend of the program, Buster Only. Both those guys are very generous with their time, and they come on Ace Cast Live. And Bob talked about the money that sponsorship-wise that Otani brings in, 20 to $30 million a year, which I, I think could even be more because of how big he is in Japan. How much would ownership be looking at, you know, not just – what does this guy do as a pitcher? What does this guy do as a hitter? How does he affect us? It's like what he brings into the bottom line for an organization is amazing. Well, I mean, this guy may be an equivalent to a friend of Fernando Valenzuela um, for me in my period of time. Fernando Valenzuela filled the stadiums, not just in the Dodger Stadium. Um, he filled stadiums at every park he played in. Um, he brought the Mexican market back to Los Angeles. Uh, with Otani, I mean, you've got all markets. You've got the Asian markets. You've got everybody that, that watches baseball is watching this guy. And my guess would be, and I don't know this, now you're getting international um, you're getting international media, not just the writers but also television that are, that are chiming into this. And there may be money from that, you know, being available to watch him play every day and pitch. So... There's a lot that he grabs from. There's a lot of pots that he's got his hands in that are all good for any baseball team that would acquire him. Now, I can tell you, I lived Fernando Mania growing up in San Diego, and old Jack Murphy Stadium was built for football. It was a football stadium. And Padres would have, well, like 17,000, 15,000. Fernando Valenzuela would pitch. And it was like an NFL game. Mm-hmm. It was like it was it was unbelievable. It was like even if, even like the night before. Let's say he pitched on a Saturday. Dodgers would be in town to be yep. twenty thousand. Next night, fifty six thousand people to watch right. for it. It was amazing. That is right. There, you, there, you, there, there was never a game that Fernando pitched that the park didn't sell out wherever he was. He was a tremendous draw, but he was a great performer. This is a guy that could swing the bat. He could pitch. He won. His rookie year, he did just about everything that you could do in a rookie season, and it continued on for year after year after year. But once again, in Dodger Stadium and at all ballparks across the country, this guy attracted fans like no other player did in that era in that time. And can still swing it with the with the old uh, sticks. It's oh, still yeah. a tremendous call. He was a great athlete. A lot oh, of people, yeah. you, you looked at he was round, but – Fernando was legit. He's a great athlete. You're right. All right. From the ace perspective, Tuesday's coming around the corner. Frankie Montas. I don't know if you throw Paul Blackburn in there, Cole Irvin. Uh, you start looking at position players, guys that could help you versatility-wise. When you look at a Pender, maybe even a Kemp who started to get hot. Sean Murphy's a big call, a catcher at 27 years old. How much action do you think the A's will do before the training deadline? Well, I think that there's probably a lot of asking 
Um, no doubt about it. I think people are asking about Murphy. I'm not sure that Murphy is a tradable piece right now. Um, Pinder is a tradable piece. Uh, he's going to be a free agent. Um, you've got Montas, who, in my opinion, is one of the top pitchers on the market um, for any team. He, he he goes into a rotation. He's at the top of your rotation. And when I think about the rest of, of possible trades for the A's, I just don't know that it makes sense um, because they've got a lot of guys that are controllable pieces for a long time that aren't making a lot of money right now. Um, and, and so there may be no reason to do that. And, you know, I, I don't know that you're going to get that good of a return for any of these other pieces. Frankie Montas, the proper time to trade him, and I think that this was planned from, from the beginning of spring training till the point that he is traded, is that they figured his most effective time and the time that they would get the best that they could for him is at the trade deadline, and I believe that they're going to make a killing. Okay, so I was going to ask you, I was going to follow up. If they don't get exactly what they want, do you hold them and wait till next offseason? I don't think that it happens. I think that their best time right is right now. I think that there are enough teams that are contending, um, some teams that are short. Um, when you look at the rotations of, of a lot of these teams, there are some holes in there. I mean, Houston Astros are a team that I, I like their starting rotation. I think that the Yankees aren't too sure about their rotation. The Phillies might be after them. You never know where this could end up. But teams that are a question mark in their rotation – they're fourth and fifth guys because Frankie fills in now at the top of the rotation that pushes everybody back. He may not be the one, but he might be the two, or he could be the three. And if he's the two, the three goes to four. So he's one of those guys that makes your rotation better. He makes gives you a little bit more length. I think that the time for the A's to move him is now. Yeah, and then you can take one of your better starters for the playoffs and put that guy in the bullpen. And we saw how the Nationals used starters in the bullpen, and that was huge for them in their World Series run. You know, talking about what you have going, I and I know as big as A's pre- and post-game live is for you, um, you got some big things going in Nashville. If you haven't been following it, New York Times did a big thing on yep. you. Uh, there's been a lot of national pub. But if you're an A's fan going, what's Dave Stewart been doing these days? <laughs> Uh, we've talked a little bit, you know, we're not doing TV together. We've talked about it. I think it's absolutely fascinating. What you're doing is going to be great for baseball, uh, great for Nashville, great for your career. Yep. And you have to be so excited because once, once Oakland and Tampa <clears throat> get situated, here comes Dave Stewart and Nashville. Nashville. We, we have a, we have a, we think that we're positioned really, really well in Nashville for expansion. I mean, as you mentioned, um, the A's have to solve their issues and problems here in Oakland or Las Vegas, wherever that's going to be. Uh, Tampa, I think, is being put in a position where they have to solve their problem in Tampa. Um, we've got two expansion territories, which are Nashville. Um, I should say two of the top expansion locations are Nashville and Las Vegas. Um, I have uh, been a part of a group in Nashville for the last four years and now that more expansion talk is being being spoken in 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 the words of baseball in the words of the commissioner um we have become a, a little bit more of a i think a front runner in this um in getting a team in Nashville and then the other piece of that is that you know um baseball has has said and and it's been spoken i've talked to i've i've spoken to several owners um and had many conversations at this point with the commissioner and baseball is ready for black ownership. 
I'm not talking about 5% ownership, uh, similar to what Jeter had, or 20% with Magic Johnson, and I'm not sure what LeBron James has with Boston, but I'm talking about 51% ownership, and I believe that I can pull this together. Um, I have every reason to believe that I can get it done and will get it done. And, um, you know, we've adopted the name of the Nashville Stars in Nashville. And people say, well, what is that? Well, Nashville had an old Negro League team that played there. And Negro League teams played in Nashville in the 40s and the 50s. And so this, once again, will be a first for Major League Baseball to take an old Negro League team and apply that to a Major League Baseball team and have that as the name of your baseball organization. So the Nashville Stars is the name that we picked. Um, we've got great branding. Right now we're, <laughs> we're not even a major league team, but if you look at our, at, our, at our sports memorabilia and the things that we have in our shop, we're selling as good as some of the major league teams are selling. Get the merch out yeah, there. <laughs> and, you know, on Twitter, we're doing as good. Social media, we're doing as good as some of the major league teams out there. But, you know, the big piece of this is it, it's, it's a, it's a mixed-use development. We've teamed up, or we're teaming up right now. We're in, in conversation with TSU, Tennessee State University, one of the old, oldest uh, uh, black uh, colleges, Negro League, uh, Negro colleges. Um, I'm sorry, mixing up my words, but TSU. Um, and so uh, we've teamed up with them. We have 106 acres of land. We're on... Um, the Cumberland River, which gives us a riverfront stadium. Um, we're three and a half miles from where everything is going on. SBCUs, I'm sorry, that's what I was thinking about. Um, and, and TSU is one of the oldest, over 100 years. Um, and so we've teamed up with them, um, and we plan to build uh, the development. We're going to do what all of the other baseball stadiums are doing. Baseball will be surrounded by entertainment. Economy will be, be good in this area, will be hotels, retail, housing, the, the whole the whole bowl of wax. Um, and we have a great plan for it. And um, right now, every conversation that we've had has been positive in the commissioner's office. Um, and all we need to do now is A, solve your problems, and yeah. Tampa, solve yours, and let's move to the next step. Yeah, and if you're ever in Kansas City, I always highly recommend it. The Negro League Museum in Kansas City is second to none. It's a phenomenal museum, and you can learn a lot about the Negro Leagues. Yep, and we are partnered with them, by the way, with the, the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Bob Kendrick. Have them on this program multiple yeah, times. We are partnered with them, and we plan to do um, a, a museum as well um, as part of our stadium. And the other piece that I didn't tell you about, you and I have talked about, but what's interesting about this facility as well, because we are in Music City, yes, um, which is Nashville, um, we do plan to have an entertainment portion to our stadium as well. So it's not just Major League Baseball, which is going to be a 42,000-seat stadium, and you know why that is. We are celebrating Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Um, but we also have a 25,000-seat uh, venue for entertainment. And so our plan with that is to hopefully do 200 shows a year, do some residencies similar to what you do in Las Vegas, but do it in Nashville with some of the local artists. And people say, well, you see those artists all the time. But believe it or not, you don't. They're traveling and they're doing, they're doing their shows on the road. But similar to what Vegas does, you know, if you can pull in a Garth Brooks, for example, or, you know, we already have Darius Rucker as part of our group. We've got Justin Timberlake as part of our group. Kane Brown as part of our group. 
Luke Combs, who is one of the biggest country and western singers oh, yeah. right now, is part of our group. If you can get residencies from those guys, then we can also entertain as well as play baseball. Oh yeah, and then Disney on Ice comes through for five days, <laughs> and then you know it's like it's 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 because <coughs> Nashville is basically the. Vegas to the southeast now. Everybody's doing their bachelor parties, their bachelorette parties. It's like the hottest place to go. So, and, and one of the coolest things that I know we've talked about with Tennessee State is you helping rebuild part of the campus. So not only are you coming in going baseball stadium, mm-hmm. you're talking about some type of uh, like an arena type deal. I mean, and then you're going to build all the stuff and, and retail yeah. and condos and hotel and all that. But now you're also going to help rebuild part of the college. And we are. Eddie George is the football coach there. And um, their football program is starting a, in an upward spiral. So we plan to do a, a football stadium for the college. Um, every year they're getting more students that are wanting to go to their college. And so housing is, is, is starting to be a problem. And so we plan to do more residential for the college, performing arts for the college. Um, it's just going to be an overall upgrade on the college, and it's going to put it on the map. Eddie George is doing a great job with the football program. They want to regain their baseball program that they lost years ago. And so we want to be a part of all of that. But believe me, we are – in great gratitude to the college for allowing us the opportunity to to use that land for something that we think will be great for the North Nashville area in general. North Nashville is just like East Oakland, in my opinion. If you go through North Nashville, you might as well be going through East Oakland. So for me, there is a passion in that as well. Uh, as you know, I wasn't picked to do the development uh, at the Coliseum on the on the city portion of the land. And so you know, to still be able to, to do something great in a community that reminds me of a place that I grew up in is top-notch for me. You know, when when I think about what you guys are trying to do, you know, so many times I'll have people on the post-game show, Joe, just build a stadium. It's like that's not what people want to do now. There's more than just building a stadium. And for you – being able to get the plans together with engineers and architects, how much fun has that been? I mean, you're you're planning your own entertainment world. Well, I mean that, and that is that. That's the key to it all. I mean, you get a hand, you get a hand in it from the ground up, from the bottom to the top, and I don't think that there's anything better than that. I mean, if you've ever built your own home, that might compare to this, but. This is a step bigger than that because baseball has been my life. I've been in baseball for 45 years, 46 years. Um, I've worked, as you said, in every aspect of the game from coaching to managing to to being a general manager, assistant at minor league. I've done it all. Um, and this, for me, is, is the, the last episode. This is the last page in my book to be able to put together not just a baseball team, but to put together an atmosphere to build culture um, to to help enhance an area um i don't think that there's anything bigger than that did you ever envision anything like this for your career you know i didn't um you know when i was a kid i know we used to sit on the front porch of me and a good friend of mine warnell simpson we sat on the front porch and we we envisioned all the great things that we wanted to do here in the bay area and some of them and when i was a player i was able to accomplish um, and then, you know, as your playing career goes on and on, you know, you take things a step at a time at, at that point. You look at how long are you, how long is your career going to be, but you got to play every year to get to 16 years. And then after 16 years, how do you stay involved? Is it going to be in coaching? Are you going to be in the field? Will you manage? 
will you be in the front office? And I chose the path, the front office, and eventually got a chance to coach. Um, and then after all of those years, you know, I, I just thought, I'm not done with the game. Um, but I don't want to be bossed. I want to be a boss. I want to have the opportunity to have an effect on an organization, on a culture. And we are minority, but we're also diverse. And in that, you know, we get an opportunity to, to be a blueprint for all businesses across the country um, to be an example of what your business should look like and how it should be run and how things should look. And that is the piece that motivated me. We're, I mean, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a time here now um, where it's, it's necessary and it's needed. Um, and I want to be a part of that. Um, you know, I don't profess to be a world leader, uh, but I do know growing up here in the Bay Area um, and being involved in all different aspects and all nationalities of people and all walks of life, um, I think that baseball needs that. But I also think that baseball is not alone. I think that all businesses need that. They need opinions from all walks of life, people that look like you, people that look like me, people that are Fernando Valenzuela. All walks of life need to be involved in baseball, need to be involved in all businesses. They need to be involved in all decisions so that you can make better decisions. Let's end on this. When Obviously, Nashville is your love right now, but your, your first love will always be always Oakland. Always be Oakland. Just how important is it for Oakland to get Howard Terminal and to get this done and to solidify, for the rest of our lives, the A's in Oakland? Well, when you – when the Warriors leave, and, and, you know, some people may say the Warriors were in San Francisco first, and then they came to Oakland, and then they went back to San Francisco. That could be the way you look at it. When the Raiders leave, I don't think that the city, and if it's the city council or who, I don't think they understand how important this development will be for the city of Oakland. There's not been a major league facility that's been built in a downtown area that has this vision that hasn't been successful for not just the baseball team, but for the economy. And so if this does not happen, if this team is allowed to leave, I think it's going to take Oakland a long time to recover from this, if they recover at all. Yeah, well said. Well, A's Hall of Famer, always great to have you on the program. And uh, you and I doing uh, A's pregame live on NBC Sports California in about a half hour. Coming up soon. Hey, and the A's are hot right now. Just swept the Astros. They're playing real good, but we're in the next series now, so let's, let's start from day one. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Always amazing to have Dave Stewart and a guy Dave Stewart grew up watching. He's a 2022 A's Hall of Famer. Three-time World Series champion, three-time All-Star, three-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, the great Joe Rudy. Joe, do we have you? You got me, I hope. 
Yeah, we see you. Welcome back to A's Cast Live. How are you? I'm still kicking on the right side of the grass. There, there's no doubt about it. And you know what? One of the things I always love about doing these videos is I love always seeing the hardware behind guys like yourself. You got the World Series trophy. You got the gold gloves. That is awesome. Thank you. Well, very, very blessed life. Let's put it that way. So what's it going to mean to you to go into the A's Hall of Fame? I was flabbergasted when they contacted me about that. You know, Dave called me and told me that they had voted that in. And I was, you know, I knew they had just started. There's a whole lot of great players that were, uh, I thought, way ahead of me. I'm not so sure about that because, you know, when you talk about those three straight World Series titles, you talk about that run uh, of the group, 72, 3, 4, 5, you know, that when you guys not only won World Series but were going to the playoffs, uh, 71, um, they talk about you as such a glue. And, and our guy Ray Fossey used to talk all the time about what you meant to the lineup, what you meant defensively. Uh, just is this kind of the icing on the cake for you with your career? Absolutely. I mean, this is uh, amazing, really. I mean, I, I look back at my career and, you know, a young guy growing up in a little town called Waterford outside of Modesto, about 20 miles east of there, a little town of 900 and just getting the opportunity to play and, and looking at the coaches I was blessed to have over the years. And of course, getting to, to uh, Oakland when we moved there and having Joe DiMaggio teach me how to play the outfield and, you know, working with us on hitting. And I mean, you just, we had guys like Gabby Hartnett and uh, Luke Appling, Hall of Famers when I first started back in the Kansas City A's days. They were coaches on the team. And, uh, you know, there was no trying. You know, you had to get the job done. You got a guy in second base, nobody out. You better get him to third. There's no excuses that you tried. If you can't do it, you better bunt. So, you know, it was just a, we were brought up the right way, I would call it. You know, when, when Joe D was your coach, and I know, hey, you're a professional athlete, but was there ever a time where you're like, wow, Joe DiMaggio in all white and the white cleats? Was, was that What was that like for you, Joe D being your coach? Well, going to spring training, at, you know, the first time when he was there at 68 and stuff, I mean, I was scared to talk to him. You know, I'm 20, 21 years old, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm a, I, they put me out in the outfield with him. I was afraid to ask a question or say anything, but, you know, he was such a super nice guy, and he just put me such, such you know, re relaxed thing on how he was teaching me the footwork and how to anticipate things, where to have an eye shift to the hitter to look for the ball coming your way and how to get a jump on the ball. I mean, it, it, was, it was nonstop you know, graduate university type stuff for, uh, that I never even heard of before. You know, I, I signed out of high school as a playing shortstop all those years and then uh, played a little bit of third base for a couple of years before they decided to put me in the outfield. So I had very little experience uh, on playing the outfield. And I, I remember when I first went out there, first major league game, I mean, I think it was in Yankee Stadium that, you know, the hitter looked like an ant. You know, the ballpark was so huge. And you're standing out there, and you're so used to playing a minor league or you know high school fields, it was <laughs> it was a big adjustment, very big. I can't imagine. I mean, Central California, small town, to playing in Yankee State. Well, you know, think about you coming up in Kansas City. Just thinking about being in the big leagues, how overwhelming that could have been. Well, it really was. 
at the time, Alvin Dark was the manager in 1967. And I signed in 64 with a broken hand. I only played maybe 50, 60 games. 65, I got, you know, they had to protect a bunch of us. That was the year they had Catfish and Blue Moon Odom and Renee Latchman, you know, a whole bunch of guys. And uh, so I ended up playing, um, getting claimed by Cleveland. So I played just a part of a year. They, then I went in the Marine Corps, came out, and I only played about 85 games, 90 in A-ball. 1966, you know, I was with the whole, almost the whole team that ended up in the big leagues. With you know, we had Reggie there and Duncan and Fingers, a lot of those guys. Larusa was there, and so that, I played a ball in 1966 to go to spring training in '67, and Alvin Dark takes me north, so I went from a ball to the big wow. leagues, and that's what I'm saying. I got in that first time going into the big ballparks. And, you know, Kansas City wasn't quite so bad. It was more like a triple-A minor league ballpark at that time. But I just remember our first trip going into some of the big fields like you know, Cleveland and, and uh, Yankee Stadium. They were just gigantuous uh, stadiums. It was really tough to judge the ball. So going from Kansas City out here to Oakland, when was it for you, did you go, we got something here, we got something really special? Well, it, you know, it, it was sort of different, it was a different era, of course, you know, so we were able to play together, you know, the, the core of that team started out in rookie ball, to A ball, the double A ball, some of us went to, up and down with triple A a little bit, but most of us went right from double A to the big leagues, and so... I started out in AAA in 68, and they called me up early May. Actually, the, the first game I ever played in, in Oakland Stadium was the night Catfish pitched the perfect game. Mm. That was my first game in Oakland. I've never been in the ballpark. <laughs> my knees are knocking. I'm praying, don't screw this up. You know, make, mess up his perfect game. And so that was my first game in Oakland. And so, again, you know, each year we saw a little improvement. I think 1970 we, we actually ended up on the positive side of win, win and loss record. And we could just see all of us growing because we had all come out of that, you know, 17, 18 year old kids. Now we're getting into our early 20s. And I think in Oakland in 1968, after I got called up, our average on the field age was 22. So we had a really young ball club. Of course, we've got a butts beat a lot early on but we kept getting better and better and you had the right guy the right taskmaster i mean you talk about somebody that uh you know obviously he's in the hall of fame dick williams you, you had the right guy leading the charge you know i think really put us to the top was we, you know we had good managers johnny mcnamara was great i played for him in double a and he really gave me my chance to play every day in 1970 of course, that was uh, the big break for me was Reggie holding out. And after his big year in 69, uh, he held out most of spring training. Johnny Mack came up to me and says, hey, you're my left fielder. It's your job to lose. He said, I'm playing in every inning of every game of spring training, which I did, uh, to get my, you know, enough experience and time playing and everything else. And uh, so it, it was, you know, going and then they – we're able to bring in uh, Dick Williams, and he was a real taskmaster. You know, you, play, you played small ball. There was no – you didn't make mental errors. He didn't, he didn't jump on you if you made a physical error. But you better know where you had to throw the ball, what was happening, how many outs there were. And uh, he was a real stickler, and that's why we, 
with our team, especially in Oakland and the way the ballpark was set up at that time, you know, the ball didn't carry. There were very few home runs hit out towards center field. And so we, we had a lot of two to one, three to two, four to three games that were tight. And, uh, you know, we had a great defensive team and great pitching. You know, just recently doing the interview with Raleigh Fingers and kind of talking about the dismantling of the team. And it just kind of was the start of reality in our sport, right? I mean, you guys were – what happened to you now happens every single year. We've been dealing with it for decades. You guys just happened to be the first great team where money really became an issue and free agency, Charlie Finley saw it. Uh, it's sad to say, but it's kind of like – after you guys, kind of the way the business of baseball started to go, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, we went through the very first year of, of free agency, and, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the year. We didn't know if they were going to blackball us, uh, if they were going to change, the, the, you know, the rules and everything. And nobody knew what was going to happen until that fall when all of a sudden teams actually started bidding for our services. Uh, and I think as you look back, at the beginning, early part of the year, with the contracts going back and forth, Philly could have signed a majority of the team that left for less than each of us got individually. You know, we were asking for like you know a three-year contract at four hundred thousand total, you know, one hundred and thirty-three a year or something like that. And uh, you look at a lot of us were in it, you know, able to get quite a bit more than that in the free agency thing. But you know, Catfish really set that up when he got declared a free agent. You know, with a career that he'd had up to that point, you know, the 20 game, it was Cy Young, the one winner in 74, you know, and he goes from making maybe 100,000 if he was making that to, to a five year guarantee contract at 750,000. I think that really opened a lot of people's eyes. And of course, Messer Smith and McNally went through the 75 season without, without signing. And then they became, you know, they arbitrarily declared a free agent. And that's where how this whole thing opened up. But I really think that Catfish gave them the push to do what they did. Yeah, well, now guys are talking about, well, $400 million contracts. We may be in the realm of $500 million. Boy, do they owe you guys for uh, being courageous and testing the system. Uh, when you look back, just how tough was it, though, to leave Oakland? Well, it was, it was horrible. We cried. You know, we, we you know we grew up in, outside of Modesto. I actually went to high school in Modesto, with Downey High there. Uh, you know, our families were real close. Uh, you know, we could run home on the weekends and stuff and see our folks and, you know, you know brothers and sisters and all that stuff. And so for us personally, especially, uh, we did not want to leave. Absolutely didn't want to leave. You know, all of us had homes you know, out there, in, like I said, down in the Walnut Creek, uh, Danville area. And, uh, you know, we all had played together all those years. We're like brothers. And uh, the last thing we wanted to do was split up. And, uh, you know, it was crushing to, to have that happen. Obviously, financially, it was it was wonderful for all of us to, 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 to go through that. But I think all of us would have given up a lot of that money to stay together and had that team uh, win a few more World Series. Well, going into the A's Hall of Fame, your greatness will always be remembered. And I just wonder, for you, at what point in your life did you really sit back and go, wow, we were 
one of the best in the history of the game. There's only the Yankees and the A's have won three in a row or more. So when was it where you really got a chance to sit back and just go, wow, what we did, spectacular? Well, first of all, I never considered myself a great player. You know, if you're talking about greatness, we're talking about Catfish, Raleigh, Reggie, those kind of guys that had incredible uh, careers. But as a team, you know, when you, you know, you look at what the Angels went through, even when we went down there trying to bring in all those all-star players and, and they never won. And so the, you know, the chemistry and having the right people in the right place and the right management on and on uh, was what we really relished. You know, I think now if a player looking back on the career, a lot of people don't remember what you hit for batting average, how many home runs you hit. They remember that you were a winner. And for us, you know, being able to win like we did those three in a row, uh, five straight division championships, all that kind of stuff. That's what people remember. You know, I still run into people that remember those days that are that age. And uh, so, you know, that was what was, you know, fabulous for us. And as I said before, it was a different era where we could keep that group of players together. Okay. Can you imagine having that group in today's world and trying to pay them? No. I can imagine what this show would be like. It would just be all about talking about money every single show. It would just be because, you know, you guys had such confidence. Ray Fossey would always tell me the story about when he first arrived at spring training and Dick Green behind the batting cage went, oh, yeah, regular season's great, but we're going to win the World Series again. I mean, the ultimate confidence that you guys had after winning that first one and you did it without Reggie, you knew that, hey, you guys are coming to spring training to win the World Series. I mean, that's ultimate confidence. It really was. And now, again, we weren't making any money. So the, the, well, those checks that we got for winning the World Series were huge. Well, that was the first time we got, ended up on the plus side. And, uh, you know, I think I hit 309 in 1970. And I had to hold out almost two weeks in the spring training, about 10 days probably in the spring training to go from 12.5 to 20,000. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a different era. That's all it is. And, you know, like I'm, I don't begrudge these guys today. I mean, you know, the careers are short and uh, they've, they've got the same issues we had of, of life. And, you know, it's not what you make, it's what you spend. And so you still got to be careful with the money because, you know, I can look back like in 72, my wife and I thought if we could have any kind of investments where we could make $1,000 a month, we'd be set for life. Well, you got to multiply that by quite a bit to make it today. And to think all that was happening with the owner running the franchise in Chicago in the Midwest. Like when you try and tell young fans how things used to go, like, Charlie Finley's on a phone running a major league baseball team. And let's face it, you got to give him credit because he did bring all of you guys together and you won the championships and he did it all from Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, we can all blame it on Hammer, right? I mean, he was yeah. the man. <laughs> but he was a cute kid. But uh, no, it's amazing. We did different. We had no front office. You know, we, we just had a, a couple of people up there and, uh, it was amazing that how the thing, you know, stayed together, how it ran, and that we were able to get through a season without, you know, showing up not having a plane or a bus or whatever we needed to get from point A to point Z. I think we spent, you know, half of our life in the Chicago airport because we always flew commercial. We didn't have charters back then. 
And so uh, it was a, a, whole, a totally different game back than it is today. Like I said, it continues to change, and uh, I'm happy for these guys today and, and how things are working out. And I think the owners, you know, they're not stupid. They're making money. No, no, no doubt about it. And it's good. Everybody's making money, and right now uh, the game is doing very well financially. And when I think about coming full circle, right, you, you know, the start of your life, you're a young man, you're – winning championships, you're going to all-star games, and then now you're going to be inducted into the A's Hall of Fame, rightfully so. You're one of the great A's of all time. What do you think it's going to be like when you get up in front of that crowd and you give the speech? I just hope I don't start crying because it's going to be an emotional thing when I look back at, you know, what we went through, uh, and how, you know, getting there and, and the team together and stuff, and it uh, – it still breaks my heart to look back and, and have that team, you know, dismantled the way it was because uh, it was a long trip getting to that point and, you know, growing up and becoming confident players. And uh, it's, it's, like I said, it's the cherry on top of the cake. You know, I and let's end on this because it's something that I, I'm going to ask Dave Stewart too because when you give that speech, it's going to be in the same stadium you played on. A lot of times now when guys give speeches, it's in a brand-new stadium, the stadium you won in where all your memories happened is now gone. You're going to step out on that field, and unfortunately you've lost. As you said, these guys are brothers. You've lost a few, including our, our dear friend Ray Fossey. What is that you think going to mean, just not emotions, just for you when you walk out there, that it's going to still be on that field where you made that greatness happen. You're not at some new ballpark. Yeah, it's amazing that, you know, time passes that, you know, the Coliseum is the oldest stadium in, in baseball now when it was brand new when we first moved into it. But, uh, yeah, I, I've thought about many times. I wish that the players of today could uh, – have played ball back in that era that we played in that ballpark with the coastal fog coming through the lights at night. And, you know, balls hit the left field. Me at ground balls were spinning water off the ball. And uh, I remember asking Ricky Henderson how, how he handled the wet balls. And he looked at me like I was from outer space because by the time, you know, the late eighties, when he was there, you know, the, the climate had changed. They didn't have that stuff coming in at night. You didn't have the lights dimming because of the fog or, you know, the wetness out there. And like I said, I can probably count on one hand the number of balls that got hit out and, and straight away center field. You couldn't hit the ball out of Oakland in center field. So it's a different world there now. It's fortunate, you know, that big monster they put out in center field, that changed the whole complex uh, to some degree. But, you know, the ground is still there, the, the stands and the people. It's amazing how many people that when I've been there, you know, from time to time that are still coming that were coming when we played. Yeah. Yeah, because you weren't able to make the 72 celebration earlier this year, correct? Well, we were supposed to, but I was sitting in the Miami airport, and one of the American Airlines uh, canceled our flight at the last minute, so they're still on my bad list. And uh, we couldn't. there was no way we couldn't get another flight to get, uh, get to uh, Oakland. So we got, um, fortunately, my son was there with, and my daughter. Uh, they'd already flown up there. And uh, so he he represented the, the Rudy family and uh, very happy that he was able to be there. Yeah, we had a Q&A down the right field line that I hosted and so many fans that were there during that time. And, you know, they grew up watching that team. It, it, too bad you weren't able to be there. It was uh, 
it was really special because that was really, you know, 72 was the start. And then, of course, 73, 74, greatness there. But uh, just so many so many tremendous stories around your guys's team and I'm so glad you guys are being celebrated not only when we look at the teens but players like yourself you know you have your iconic moments obviously the catch in the 72 World Series and all of you guys really have at some point an iconic moment uh, we always love joking with Foss about Raleigh Fingers jumping into his uh, into his arms after beating the Dodgers in the World Series. So these 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 moments that we still get to see on MLB Network and we get to see on NBC Sports California are just so special. Thank you for coming on A's Cast Live. A lot of fans probably don't know this, but I'm going to be interviewing you in about eight minutes for television. So I will see you in about uh, in about eight minutes. But it's always. Great to have your time. You've been so good to us over the years here on A's Cast Live, and we're so happy for you. We can't wait to see you on the day of of uh, getting inducted into the A's Hall of Fame. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's it's amazing that to uh, still be remembered 40 years later. So I'm very <laughs> humbled by all that. So thanks again for having me. Take care and be well. God bless. The great Joe Rudy. Three-time World Series champion, three-time Gold Glover, three-time All-Star, kind of like Foss. Two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner. Uh, very humble man. What a great – I mean, he had a great career. Uh, I mean, first of all – Great career. It's Rawlings Gold Glove is what Ray would always correct us by saying. But, yeah, he had a great career. Are I'm you a, correcting Wikipedia? I believe everything I read on the Internet. Well, I mean, I was looking – when I was looking at his uh, credentials when I was putting it up for StreamYard and everything – and I saw the three-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion, three-time uh, Rawlings Gold Glove winner. I'm like, so he's just Ray with one more of each is what he – I mean, it's what he did. I mean, those guys were incredible. All those guys from 72 through 74, uh, Raleigh, Vida, um, Sal Bando, the captain, um, a lot of history with those teams. And I'm glad we're inducting some of those – more of those players in the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you're talking about the – it's it's one of the greatest baseball teams in a, in a sport that's been played for over 150 years. You got to have something special to win that much. Because remember, that started in 71, then they won 72, 73, 74, still won in 75. And as they always say, we could have kept that thing rolling. It's still, even though... They didn't keep it rolling. It truly is one of the great runs. And, you know, how, how important is your team? So there's a lot of World Series teams, obviously. But if you're to tell the true history of baseball, not every World Series team is going to get mentioned. Can you tell the history of baseball without talking about the A's of the early to mid seventies, no, I think you have to. You have to. I mean, they're them and the Yankees. Well, in, in that, in, in, if you're going through the decades, right? In that, in the seventies, it's going to be A's and Reds. That's what it's going to be. Yeah, you know the the Reds losing in seventy two to the A's and coming back winning seventy five seventy six. And even though the Yankees got in there in the uh, late eighties, still. Well, the Yankees will always get mentioned, but it'll be the Reds and the A's and the seven. You can't tell the history of baseball without talking about, well, the A's in general because there's so many championships and so many great players and Hall of Famers, but you can't tell the history of baseball without talking about a team that won three straight World Series and was that dominant. 
Yeah, it's just like the late 80s, too. You can't tell the story of the late 80s baseball without talking about the A's. Even if they didn't win the World Series in 88 and 90, they were still there. And, 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 and by the way, in a sport that was different back then, in, in some ways, I'm not going to say it was always different, but they didn't care necessarily about things that we care about now. Right? Like, it's just win the division. Whatever the record was. When you had 93 wins, you got 95. No one's like, you got to get 107 wins, and you got to, you know, you didn't have that. Yeah. You know, once you had a comfortable lead, you just, you know. So looking at records and looking at certain things back then, you know, it's like when Jack Morris would talk about, we talked about it, the Hall of Famer was on this program, A's Cast Live, talking about, you know, back in the day, you go out and give up five runs in the first two innings. They're not pulling you. You're still trying to go eight innings. How they viewed numbers are far different from today. I mean, the way we look at numbers, I mean, my God, it's a completely different deal. Like, we've had to, like, reintroduce, hey, there's value beyond numbers. There's value to a guy playing multiple positions. There's a value to a guy showing up and being healthy every day. There's a value to, to a guy not being a you-know-what in the clubhouse. You know, we've had to we've had to we've had to bring back certain values that mean something to winning teams. It's just not all, hey, what's your weighted runs created plus? You know, you got to be more than that. And to winning baseball. And those guys wasn't always about numbers. Those guys sacrificed numbers to win games. Guys don't want to sacrifice anything today. Why? Because numbers mean cash. Numbers mean money. It's just a reality. Uh, Joe Rudy, career 112 OPS plus. I, baseball reference doesn't have weighted runs created plus on here, so I can't help you with that. But you're right. It was completely different back then. I mean, the save wasn't really even a big statistic back then. No. And Reggie dropped the best line ever. When you knew Raleigh's coming to the game, you grab your hat and coat and go home because you knew the game was over. You knew the game yeah. was over. From Joe Rudy to a man who's been with the Oakland Athletics for 52 years as a man that's done everything, managed, He's been in player development, front office. My God, what a career. Here is 2022 A's Hall of Famer, Keith Lippman. Keith Lippman, 52 years. 52 years with the Oakland Athletics. Excuse me, Kansas City Athletics to Oakland Athletics. Grew up in Kansas. You went to the University of Kansas. Played for the A's. Managed in the A's system. What's the highest he got? Triple A? I think triple A. I'd have to go back and look. But his entire career has been with the A's organization. 52 years. You want to talk about two perfect guys going in together? Steve Vucinich, Keith Lippman. And now Keith, uh, you know, semi-retired, not doing the daily grind anymore. What exactly is his title now? I think it's Special Advisor Player Development. You think about... His, that is correct, special advisor to player development. How many players, coaches, managers he has helped throughout the years have better careers, big league level, not. He has gotten the award in 2010, the Sheldon Bender Award for Minor League Baseball for Distinguished Service and being influential in player development. He got that in 2000. And 10, 2020 uh, was given by Baseball America the Tony Gwynn Lifetime Achievement Award 
for for what he's done in our game. I mean, he's a legend. Here is new Oakland A's Hall of Famer Keith Lippman on A's Cast Live. Keith, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Good. How are you? Great. Doing fine. Congratulations. I really appreciate the kind words. It's uh, pretty unexpected. After 52 years, you think it's unexpected? <laughs> well, the way they delivered it, uh, Bob Melvin had, you know, I thought he was honoring me for 50 years. And when he got done, he turned around and looked at Dave Cavill. And then he uh, basically just said, you know, we're, we're going to induct you to the Hall of Fame. And then, uh, you know, that COVID hit, so it knocked it off for a little while. But yeah, uh, I was pretty shocked at the moment. Well, awesome stuff. It's going to be great to see, and what an honor. Well, I'm really honored after, you know, so many experiences as a player, a manager, a coach, a coordinator, and a farm director. I think I've seen every element of uh, the A's organization uh, even growing up as a kid in Kansas City, uh, you know, I was there for the Charlie Finley years and, you know, being able to see the entire uh, evolution of really of the organization to today. So uh, I think I've had a pretty nice view of, of the system for a long, long time. Do you ever look back and think about your days as a Jayhawk at the University of Kansas when you got that degree in journalism and you go, wow, I could have been like Townsend and been a radio guy instead of being in baseball for 52 years? Well, Chris, I got to tell you, after my final (laughs) year in 1979, I was playing in Ogden, Utah. Yeah. And I went down that path for like a few minutes. I, I took a job with an advertising company. And I was sort of an internship that I didn't get any money. I had to, you know, work for the school system. I had to substitute teach. And, uh, you know, but halfway through in maybe mid-January, I got a call and they said, you know, one of our guys quit. One of our low-A managers, would you be considered uh, or consider managing? And, uh, you know, I, ju- I jumped at that. So that was my last thought of any journalism enterprises. I just, you know, 52 years with any corporation is truly amazing. The fact that you're in your 52nd year with the A's. I mean, you grew up a Kansas City A's fan. You grew up in this organization. And here you are 52 years later. Do you just ever sit back and go, my God, what a run? Well, actually... Once I, you know, name with for this honor, uh, it it was time to do some reflecting, and uh, I actually have gone back and thought about uh, how lucky and fortunate I was to be around all these phenomenal people. Uh, you know, all the great managers that have come through the A system. I've had some connection with uh, everybody, all the way back to Jim Marshall. Uh, you know, Renee Latchman, that you know was went on to be with other managers, but I, I have been with La Russa and Billy Martin and, you know, not to name drop anybody, but uh, I've been around to see a lot of different people, a lot of Hall of Famers. Uh, when Billy came, he brought uh, Harmon Killebrew and Eddie Matthews. So I've just been lucky to be around these people and each era brought its unique uh, sense of what that manager wanted to do, what the GM wanted to do at that time. So, it's never been a dull moment. I've uh, my eyes are wide open to change and all the new varieties of, of way things people do things, and uh, 
been enjoyable. It's been fun. They're really nice people to have worked with. Uh, Billy and David Sandy were extremely loyal uh, to all of us, Grady, Eric, anybody in this system, Boos, uh, Mickey. Uh, we, we've been really lucky that four ownership changes and uh, basically a whole group of people still remain in the system. And uh, I'm really thankful for that. That's been the real reason you get good people at the top that believe in you and uh, you want to do well and you want to help uh, be around a game you love, the passion for watching great baseball every day. Who gets to watch a, a baseball game every day? It's uh, it's incredible lifestyle. I'm so glad you brought up the continuity because the, the A's, whether you're talking about the Major League Baseball or the NFL, NBA hockey, I mean, the fact that as as a guy going in with you, Steve Vucinich has basically ba- has been at his job his entire life, and you mentioned the continuity inside the organization. That's just something you don't see in regular life, let alone professional sports. I'm glad you recognize that because that's truly one of the special things about this organization is that the people that have been around it for so long, the loyalty, the trust, it truly is a, fat, a family atmosphere. Yeah, you know, I think it started uh, really with Sandy, uh, Walter Haas. You know, that sort of the motto was we want everybody uh, that comes in the A's organization to be a better player and a better person. And I think that extended on to the staff as well. You know, that, that whole idea that uh, we were all together – there was a lot of things we did together uh, that they, you know, tried to make it a, a family situation. You know, a lot of get togethers, a lot of acknowledgements. You know, I got a 10 year award for being there and then another 15 year award. They made it sort of incentivize uh, your life uh, just by the way that they conducted their business. Uh, they were good to us. They gave us uh, plenty of time to, you know, be with our family and, uh, in most cases, you know, whether it was a medical emergency or whatever, the family always came first. And uh, that translated to, I think, the players recognizing that they had a good environment to play in. And, you know, after it's all said and done, uh, after all these years, I think for the staff and for the players, uh, we, we really have, have had fun with this organization. I think the players love playing here. Well, over the years, you've been so kind to us. I mean, I remember – Going back to 2010 when you won the Sheldon Bender Award for your service in in minor league baseball and player development. Not too long ago we had you on uh, when you got the Baseball America Tony Gwynn Lifetime Achievement Award. Those were all very special moments, obviously, for you and your career. Now we have you on again to talk about you going into the A's Hall of Fame. How does this award and what does this award mean to you and your family? Actually, uh, the other two were, you know, it was great to be recognized by the industry, you know, for, uh, you know, your work amongst all the other organizations. Uh, you know, and that, that was that meant a lot to me because uh, it's your peers. It's, uh, you know, the people that you work with on a regular basis. And then, you know, Baseball America recognizing me in that regard was uh you know, it was wonderful. I mean, I, I really appreciate it. But getting to this award uh, has really humbled me. I can't tell you uh, how much I've reflected on all my experiences and uh, what it's meant to me to be part of this organization. Uh, it, it's There's nothing quite like it. I, I can't really describe 
uh, it's who I am. It's where I've come from. Um, as a kid growing up, I always dreamed I would play for the Kansas City A's and never in a wild imagination would I ever thought that I would be going into the Oakland A's Hall of Fame. You know, after playing, coaching, uh, I, I could have never imagined that. And uh, it's crazy how things play itself out over the years. But I had great mentors like Carl Keel, Harvey Dorfman. They were pioneers. Uh, in the game, and they really taught me a lot about how to conduct myself, how to, you know, play the game, how to do the mental game. These these were great people, and I think I'm just a reflection of, of all the people that have been around me, and, uh, you know, I, I'm honoring them by going into the Hall of Fame, and along with all these managers, coaches, uh, they're the real people, the behind-the-scenes individuals that do the work day in and day out and don't get really recognized. So I'm sort of looking at this as I'm going in on behalf of a whole group of people that really deserve to be recognized for uh, their work in over the years. There's so many of them. What is it? What has it meant to you over your career when you watch players, when you watch coaches, managers, people that you've helped, people that you've helped mentor, and then they go on to the big leagues and have success? What has that been for you as you're a teacher, you're a mentor, you're a friend? You've worn a lot of different hats for a lot of people. What has it meant to you when you see them have success at the big league level? You know, I, I found that kind of my niche was that and there's a line that uh, I, I read the other day. It's something like this. The greatest successes in life are often found in helping others succeed. And that the most lasting and fulfilling achievements are often earned by others, you know, helping others fulfill theirs. That was kind of a very interesting quote, but it came down to really how I think I am and I've operated all these years. It's all about what can I do for you? How can I help? Um, I found a niche where I was rewarded by that work. And, uh, you know, there was nothing like it. I didn't really have any great desires to be a big league manager after managing for eight or nine years in the system. Uh, then I, I kind of found, found that player development, uh, as far as the leadership part of it, uh, you know, I can help staff, I can help players through my own experience. And uh, that meant more than anything to me. So uh, I'm just grateful that uh, I've been able to find meaning and purpose within what I did. I, I didn't ever have to keep climbing the ladder to, to get higher or further along in the, in the business. I found a great place and uh, I'm comfortable in it. And it's been real re rewarding out to see a Seth Brown or a Jonah Bride, maybe some of the underdogs that people don't, you know, expect to get to the big leagues. Uh, some of those are the, your most favorite uh, experiences to call them or to text them and, you know, let them know that, uh, you know, they're going to big leagues or, you know, after they get their first hit. Uh, those are the real thrills for uh, a lot of us in, in player development. It's, watching other people succeed and knowing you had a just a little part in uh in, in their growth and development you know when i i think about a 52 52 year career and when you sit back and you reflect on all these years and all the people you've been around is there a story you can give us that maybe you'd forgotten that it triggered in your mind a special time, a conversation, a relationship, a deal or something that while you're reflecting, really, it brought it back up and really touched your heart? 
Well, I mean, there's just, there's so many of them. Uh, most of my conversations, uh, you know, with the managers, uh, Bob Melvin had a big impact on me, uh, just his day-to-day operations, uh, the way he handled the ball club. And once I started thinking back from when he first got here, uh, we, we were close uh, a lot of the times. He lives close to where I live in Prescott. He lives in Sedona. And we would spend time together and just talk baseball and about how he did things. And uh, we had lots of good interaction. It just made me uh, reflect on so many conversations I had with him about uh, so many things about baseball and, you know, where he had been in his life with it. And it made me appreciate him and so many other managers that, uh, you know, had touched me over the course of my career. But he in particular uh, came to my mind as uh, one of the really great people that uh, influenced me. Well, I got to tell you, you're an inspiration to us all. 52 years in Major League Baseball, 52 years with the same franchise. (laughs) And it's the same franchise that you grew up loving. When I say you've been living a dream, I really mean it. Congratulations. You've earned everything you have gotten. And when you go in there, if there's anybody that needs to be represented by the A's for for the rest of of our time and the rest of baseball time, it is you, my friend. Congratulations on this honor. Such a special time, and we can't wait to see you for the inductions. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, I really appreciate your kind words. It's uh, heartwarming. It makes me feel appreciated, and, and I thank you a lot. We'd like to thank all these A's Hall of Famers, Dave Stewart, Joe Rudy, and Keith Lippman for joining us. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.